0: Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Moft. I love a good phone or tablet accessory, but I need them to be sleek and useful. That's why I love Moft. Moft creates portable, easy-to-use productivity accessories, which enable you to work anywhere via unique, smart design. Inspired by origami, these lightweight, foldable accessories are the perfect combination of form and factor. I have several, but my favorite is the folding stand and case for iPad. It's perfect whether I use the iPad to read, sketch, or write. It's sturdy, and the full extension makes it my own portable desktop computer. If you're looking for the perfect productivity accessories for your devices, go with Moft. For a limited time, you can get 10% off your entire purchase by going to howibuilt.it slash moft and using the code joe10 at checkout. That's howibuilt.it slash moft and using the code joe10. We all deal with grief. It could be loss of a loved one, maybe loss of a job, or the feeling that you've lost control of your life or your business. Throughout the pandemic, many of us experienced grief in one way, shape, or form. And Dr. Sherry Walling is no different. But she decided to write about her grief. First, it was just for her. Then she shared it. Then she decided that her writing could help countless people and turned those writings into a book. I'm grateful she took the time to talk to us today. We get into how grief affects us, what creators can do, and the book writing process. There are a lot of helpful things for a lot of people. I tried to put this interview through the lens of creators who can experience isolation and burnout, but really Sherry's own experiences shed a lot of light on how we can work through our grief. And I do just want to mention a little bit of a trigger warning here. This episode does talk about death, loss, and suicide. So keep that in mind as you listen on. You can find Sherry's book and all of the show notes we talk about today over at howibuilt.it 279. And I want to end by saying that this is a hopeful conversation. So I hope you really enjoy it. I also want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Moft, Nexus, and LearnDash. You'll hear about them later on in the show. But for now, let's get to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business, to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. Welcome to episode 279. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have a repeat guest on the show today, Dr. Sherry Walling. Uh, We're going to be talking about her new book, uh, which... And according to my notes, because I'm a bad, I'm bad at what I do. It's called "Touching Two Worlds," uh, a guide for finding hope in the landscape of loss. I'm so excited, um, Sherry. How are you today?
1: I'm great. It's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me back on.
0: Yes, my pleasure. Um, a little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I get like a bevy of bad pitches, and uh, Sherry reached out with like the most perfect pitch. Um, so if you want to learn how to, and I mean, it helps that we know each other, uh, but, um, it also helped that she knows like the audience. Uh, and this is a really good topic too. Um, I was, I know the I was,
1: audience because I know you, I know you because I know the audience, right? They go hand in hand. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. But you know, a little, a little bit of that legwork goes a long way. Um, yeah. so you, you have a new book out the last time you were on the show, I believe you were talking about your, uh, your previous book. Um, which again, the name is escaping me because I'm apparently the entrepreneurs'
1: guide to keeping your shit together.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, and uh, I gave away a couple of copies of that book, you, if I recall you correctly. Did. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So um, this one is uh, a diff- different tone, kind of totally different topic. Um, what what led you to write this book?
1: Well, I wrote this book because a bunch of really terrible things happened. Um, This book is about grief and about how people find their way through grief. And I wrote it a few—started writing a few days after my dad was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. I didn't start writing for the intention of writing a book that I would sell and release, but um, I was writing because it was what was helpful to me when I was in the midst of difficult things. So my dad was diagnosed with cancer— Uh, He died 18 months after his diagnosis. And right along that same kind of parallel process, my brother, uh, who was in his early 30s at the time, really took a deep dive in his own addiction and depression, and he died by suicide six months after my dad. So it was these two people I loved who were really becoming unraveled and then eventually dying from these different illnesses. And writing was my kind of way of, of processing and then sort of leaving little breadcrumbs behind me for people who may have to go through similar experiences.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's, uh, that's a really tough t- thing to go through. I've experienced both of those things not close, not close to each other, right? And certainly, I mean, not um, one of my siblings, but, you know, my mother-in-law... Actually, as we record this recently, passed away after a very long battle with um ovarian cancer mm-hmm. um and you know writing is a writing is a good outlet for that for a few reasons, right because you're capturing kind of how you feel in the moment, which I think is you're in a totally different mindset than probably the the, the mindset you're most i i don't want to say normally in but most commonly in um and and like you said like the it could be helpful to people down the road, right? Because if it feels a little bit hopeless, you know, for us, it was seven years. And and I told my wife this, I felt like every call or every text was the like, is this it text, you know, mm-hmm. like is, which would be a terrible way to tell somebody. So is this, is this it call? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of capturing those feelings in the moment are, you know, helpful to reflect on and, and get some perspective. <laughs>
1: I think too, you're writing a new reality for yourself, right? Like I lived in a reality in which I was a person who had a mother and a father and two brothers. And that was all I knew myself to be. And as my reality was shifting, that I am a person who has a living mother and a living brother and a dead father and a dead brother. Like I'm, I'm telling a new story and the writing is helpful because it helps us transition into this new reality. So I recommend writing as a, a tool for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but I think mostly because we're sort of trying to anchor or wrap our minds around a new version of ourselves, a new reality in our lives.
0: Yeah, that that's that's such a great point, too. Um, and, you know, I mean, it happens. I mean, I, over the last two years, people have gone through a lot of different transformations, right? Um, there's grief. There's also at... I, I don't know if you were at WordCamp US 2019. Uh, that was... one in
1: St. Louis?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my last big conference before the pandemic. And I, I came home to getting smacked in the face with a positive pregnancy test. Um and so since since the pandemic started, I, we've had two more kids. Um mm. so things look very different and then, you know, we've experienced grief. I was telling you in the in the green in the green room, I guess, mm-hmm. um that I sought therapy for the first time ever. Um Uh, during the pandemic because I didn't feel like I could be an effective father. I like wasn't coping well because my wife still had to go to work. She was a a nurse, uh, still is a nurse. Um, And so it was me kind of stay at home dadding, dealing with the stress of trying to be an entrepreneur, always being home. I'm an extrovert and then trying to take care of small kids. Um, And so there was, there was a lot of, a lot of things going on and you, um, you're also a very busy person, right? I will put it that way, right? There's a lot, you are working on a lot of different projects and you have a family as well. Um, so life, life doesn't stop, right? When, um, when terrible things happen to you. Um, and I think you you touch on this in the book, right? Like how does one deal with the world continuing when it feels mm-hmm. like yours needs to stand still?
1: Well, it, it's a bit of a both and because it does sort of stop. And then it doesn't, right? Yeah. There are experiences that we have like, you know, having a new child or losing your mother-in-law. These are like life-altering moments and it does take your breath away. And you do have a paternity leave or a bereavement leave, or there's some acknowledgement that you're departing from the patterns that you've been in and you're making new patterns, a new version of your life to go along with this new person or the loss of the person. And so in that way, I think it's important to say like, yeah, your life does stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> pause. There's a, there's, a, there's a big departure from what was before to what is going to be in the future. But the other things don't stop, right? The dog still needs to be fed. Um, the library books still need to be returned. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I still need to like pay invoices and get <laughs> collect money from my clients. You know, like yep. there's still work to be done. And I think for me, um, it's been important to navigate the logistics of life in a very gentle way, especially when you're in the throes of grief. Like many of the things that I thought needed to happen, in a timely manner, turns out there's not that much urgency. So I've learned about the value of giving more space and time and being a little bit more gentle, even though there's still that part of me that's like a hard driving, ambitious, motivated person. And I really want to do things. I really want to go to that event or write that book or do that thing it's okay to turn it down for a while and it's okay to have these moments of pause to honor that the world did stop as you knew it.
0: Yeah, that's um, something that really resonates with me there is uh, basically the day my mother-in-law died, I signed a a, a five-figure contract for like a rush video deal and I'm like meeting with the client and I'm like, yeah, like I have a funeral this weekend, but like, I'll be able to, and they're like, take the time. And I'm like, yeah. I can do this though. Like, you know, I was like, I was like a little glibly, like, you know, and it wasn't my mom, which is like weird. Cause I was very close to my mother-in-law. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's almost like, I didn't want to give, I wanted to keep pushing through almost to like feel normal or like, you know kind of keep doing this thing that I had control over.
1: I think that's super normal. Yeah. I mean, I was, I have a few instances of doing very similar things, like sitting by my dad when he's receiving chemo, you know, where you're kind of there all day. So he's getting chemo and I'm like working on a book proposal or drafting a, a speaking pitch. And it's actually why my book is called Touching Two Worlds because I'm trying to grapple with what it feels like to be so alive and be in a really beautiful phase of my life with young kids who are flourishing with a career that I'm just like in love with, like think is amazing. And then also be challenged to be totally present to death and grief and loss and the, the unraveling of things. So how can you go in one day from the heavy reality of death to this incredible opportunity that you're super excited about. So I, I, I don't pathologize what you did, Joe, because I, I relate <laughs> to it. And I do think that all of us are trying to just be big enough and wide enough to hold the both ends of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and to that point, right, you're, you're a trauma psychologist, right? Hmm. Um. Okay. There's. Um, I mean. I guess. I hope this isn't glib now. But you know. There's always the question of does the barber cut his own hair? Um. You kind of. You have a deeper understanding of 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 trauma and kind of how people process things than most people. Um. Did do, does that weigh on you at all, or kind of do you recognize that you're trying to process your own, like you're kind of trying to read the label from inside the bottle, sort of thing?
1: Yeah. I was grateful for my training when all of this was happening because I think I had more language to give to what I was experiencing and I had a little bit of a framework because I've seen so many people recover from really, really painful things. I think I knew that I would recover. Like I wasn't going to get stuck in the depths of my grief or as it relates to my brother's death, the depth of that very traumatic experience. I I had this kind of deep assurance that I would find my way out because I've lived alongside so many of my clients as they've found their way out. But also I had a therapist and I saw a physician and I sort of did all of the things that need doing when your life is dismantling. And I don't for a second think that I get a pass on any of the pain or the experiencing of it or the need for help. Um, So thankfully I had enough humility to not pretend for a moment that I was going to heal myself and then write a book about it. Like that's not what this book is about.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. That, that makes, um, that makes perfect sense. Um, so let's let's move on to I mean you me, the title of your book um it's not just about like the the hard part the heavy part it's about finding hope right um because it it, it can feel hopeless uh no matter again drawing on my own experience here right um 7 7 years we feel like I felt like when the moment came like, oh, well we already kind of, we've been grieving the loss without experience, without experiencing the loss. um, Which obviously is not the case because we could still go talk to her up until um, we lost her. And so um, it feel, it could feel hopeless. So let's talk about the, the, let's say the subtitle of your book, Finding Hope in a Landscape of Loss. Um, why don't you give us the kind of 10,000-foot overview first and then we can kind of dig in.
1: Yeah, I wish that I could say, okay, I've got a three-part plan for you, yeah. Joe. If you're looking for hope and loss, do these three things. First, it's this piece, then it's that, then it's that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was not my experience, nor the experience of anybody that I know. Yeah. <laughs> really, <laughs> truly. I do think that um, most of finding equilibrium or refinding or reconnecting to hope following significant loss happens in very little moments. So it's every day that you get up, every day you take a shower, every day you re-engage your work or talk to your friends. Like it's sort of these very small step-by-step moments. And I think that part of writing the book was to call some of them out, right? One of the things that was really, really helpful to me in reconnecting with my own aliveness was really uh, being in my body, right? Like having a very uh, consistent yoga practice, uh, training as a circus aerialist, finding ways for me to daily Feel the beating of my own heart, feeling the breath in my lungs, feeling the strength of my arms. Similarly, one of the things that was really healing was making sure that I was really intentional about hugging my children, which sounds super, super simple, right? I didn't need a PhD to figure that out. But my kids were experiencing death in their family, and I was experiencing death. And death is you know, often depicted as this like shadowy figure who's lurking in the back corner. And it does kind of feel like that because once death enters your life, you're very aware of it. And one of the best ways that I can think of to be resistant to that feeling is to celebrate the warmth and the connection and the aliveness of like bodies and a hug. So I would spend a lot of time just, watching TV and holding my kids and that was very very hopeful <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, I I I think um I mean, you know, I'm a parent of three small children and that certainly helped. I know it helped my wife too. And in um in multiple cases, right? Cuz every day we're getting up so we have those little uh, those little moments of well we got to get teresa off to school um oh like lou needs a new diaper or whatever mm-hmm. um and so we have those little moments but then yeah having a a good support system and and having people around us um to let us know that hey we're we're not alone and we can celebrate those those connections that we have um and i guess that's that's mm-hmm. another thing i wanted to kind of touch on right because again in 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 maybe my darkest moment of the the pandemic when i had a am not again i said this in the green room i'm not calling it a panic attack but i was like kind of like crying on the floor a little bit yeah. um and my my three-year-old had to bring me a towel and water <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. it's okay daddy and i was like this is not this should be the opposite um but if I I didn't feel like I had that support system, right? My wife, we we didn't we felt very alone because again, my mother in law was, um, we were be- being very cautious at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we didn't want to expose her to anything, and my father in law was taking care of her full time, and so, um, it was kind of just us and and the kids, and I was home the whole time, um, and it was really hard.
1: And your wife's at work as a nurse in a very yeah. scary medical crisis. Like, that's yeah. a super challenging and isolating circumstance that you find yourself in.
0: Yeah. And and so having any kind of support system or any, uh, I, I just found really helpful. Like I said, I saw that support system for me at that time. Uh, so I wasn't like dumping on my wife all day after she got home from like, yeah, nine people are like dead from COVID or whatever. Um yeah. Was to seek therapy, and I I talked to a toddler specialist so that she could help me with the parenting stuff. Work out
1: this toddler, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was it was hugely helpful. Um, I'll share one story. I know this is uh, I'll share one story Um, because I don't really know. Like I'm I don't I don't know what a good benchmark is for children right until like you have children. Um, But I was like I was reading a story to my daughter. Uh, called How to Train Your Dragon to Say No or How to Teach Your Dragon to Say No um, or to Hear No. And I was like, oh, like Diggory couldn't go outside because it was raining. And Teresa was like, why doesn't he just get an umbrella? And I'm like, just, I like snapped at her. Like, mm-hmm. just let me read the story. And my therapist was like, you know, this is actually like really good problem solving and troubleshooting for a three-year-old. And you should really encourage that. And I'm like, good to know. <laughs> Don't <Okay. laughs> do that. Um, so having someone there was was super helpful, I guess, is that long story.
1: I think we all need a coach sometimes, right? We yeah. all need a, like, person that can be a sounding board to our inner thoughts. I think that's a hard thing about being an adult. Like, when you're in a kid, this works for better or for worse. But when you're a kid, you have all kinds of feedback, right? You get grades. You get, you know accolades, you win your sports races, or like there's all this like feedback loop, whether you want it or not, that's telling you if you're doing a good job or not. And as adults, depending on where we are in our lives, especially as entrepreneurs, like we just don't have that. There's no supervisor that's like, Joe, just giving you a (laughs) 4.5 out of five on the parenting today. Like there's no no overseer. (laughs) So I think sometimes... It's helpful to have someone that you can be like. This is what happened. This is what I did. What do you think? Especially when we're in unknown terrain, as as we all were in the pandemic, but especially you, as an extrovert staying at home with very little children. You know, like you were in unknown terrain. I was in unknown terrain when I'm like, everybody's dead. Yeah. What do I? What do I do? How do I talk about it?
0: This episode is brought to you by Learn Dash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College and LinkedIn Learning. When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuiltit Dash. To bring it back to you, this is not like the Joe therapy session. Um, I and this is, but this is a really important topic. Um, You mentioned that writing was a helpful exercise. So we'll, we'll wrap up kind of with, with writing, what led you to uh, write this book and then kind of who this book is for, um, before moving on to a great article that you have in Fortune. Um, so what, you said you were writing for yourself at first, uh, what led you to decide to get this published? was it exactly what you were writing that you published? Or was it like, well, these are kind of like the notes that I'm going to base the manuscript on? What was that process like?
1: Yeah, there are a few things that unfolded. One is I wrote a lot. And I would find myself sending little clips to people, paragraphs, essays, things. So it became evident to me that I did want to share what I was writing. And I did feel like it could be helpful to other people who were in the throes of their own chaos or crisis. So that was happening. Um, I also uh, was invited to give a a talk. It's called a one last talk. Uh, My friend, Philip McKernan hosts these talks where basically if you had one last talk to give, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it was like the one last talk that I'll give forever for my life, but I, Talked about grief and thriving in grief. And it was very heavily from the book. And I think the talk felt really powerful. And I really loved giving the talk. It felt important. So it made me sort of wonder like, I really want to get this mess. Like, there's a message here that's important to me that I want to share. And so that's then I attended a memoir writing workshop uh, that Scribe hosted. Um, then I had a few other people look at the book as it became more of a book. And then eventually I had the opportunity to, i you know, I had a book agent who was interested in it. I got like months, months, months later, got a publishing deal. And they really asked me to go back through all of the essays and more than make them stories about me to really engage my life and my training as a psychologist. So the format of the book is such that it's, it's a story from me. And then... There's some kind of like an analysis with then an offering like, hey, if you come to the end of the, your wits as a parent, when you're in the midst of grief, try this <laughs> mm. or hey, this might be helpful. So it's intended not just to be my story, but to be of service to other people. And it's, it's a very broad audience. One of the reasons that I went with a traditional publisher for this book is because most of my work has been in cultivating an audience around entrepreneurs. And if this book is super relevant to entrepreneurs, but it also has a broader reach. And so working with a publisher hopefully will be helpful in engaging a broader community.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the key that publishers are looking for, right? Is they want, they want the broader audience because they're going to put it in bookstores and Mm-hmm. They want to make sure they're getting, you know, a return on their investment, um, which we'll talk about more in in Build Something More. Feels like a super weird time to mention this, but if you want to get that conversation and you want to get all of the conversations ad-free, head over to joincreatorcrew.com. Uh, okay. So you had... Um, you attended a workshop you had a book agent this this story reminds me a lot of the last lecture by Randy Pausch have you read that mhm yep that was like a very impactful book for me in in college yeah. he was a computer scientist i was a computer scientist and so um feels very very relevant to the conversation but it was i'll I'll link that in the show notes it was that's a really good book too um so you mentioned that this is a a, a broader audience if if someone I guess I'll, I'll put it this way, right? You and I have talked about our experiences with uh, death to experience grief, but you don't need to experience death to experience grief, right?
1: Yeah, I think grief is the emotional reaction to loss. And... Death is the most kind of permanent loss, yeah. but there are all kinds of losses that many of us, of us experience, whether that's a divorce. There's a lot of grief in divorce. Um, the loss of an opportunity, the loss of a job, the loss of a friend. The loss happens all around us all the time. And I think that death is a great teacher about grief because it's extreme, but that all of us would benefit from more comfort and or just like being more comfortable, I guess is a way to say that, being more comfortable in the landscape of loss because we're in it all the time, especially yeah. in the pandemic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's talking to creators specifically, um, but I mean, entrepreneurs as well. I'm certain you've, you've seen this is, uh, it's really easy to get burnt out, right? And maybe that is... Um, feeling that a loss of of your own time or uh, a loss of con- feeling like a loss of control, um, and I know creators who have gone to a dark place because they felt that burnout. Um, yeah. So, I guess it, who should who should buy this book should it be like people who are currently experiencing grief people who are anticipating i guess that's everybody uh <laughs> grief uh, and what are some of the big takeaways from some from someone who's reading this book
1: i think humans should buy this book yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean oh this is like the painful part of the process right like the mm-hmm. market what is the product market fit for your book um yeah. The book will help anyone become more proficient in the landscape of grief, both understanding grief as they experience it and then kind of what to do about it. I also think grief is a really, can be a very isolating experience. So when my husband read the book in its early phase, he was like, wow, I didn't fully appreciate all that you were going through. And now that I've read this book, I understand better what grief mm-hmm. does. So I think that's where the book isn't really limited to people who are currently in grief or anticipating grief. It really has um, deepening effect for all humans who are longing to be like a little bit more emotionally intelligent.
0: Yeah. And and that is that's something that I really... I really worried about, right, is my wife is very, again, my wife is very close to her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, how am I, am I going to be able to be there? I've, yeah. you know, my, both of my parents are still around. The last person I lost was my grandfather and that was tough, but you, you expect to lose your grandfather kind of, right? Yeah. Like, you don't expect to lose your mother when she's 54 years old. Um, yeah. And so... That I mean that right there. If humans should buy this book because it's that is, I think that would have helped. I I was told I did okay, um, but uh, <laughs> um, but and and she asked me too. She's like, you know, your experience. You know, like this is your loss too. Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm good. And so to that point, like it could be very isolating. I. I didn't bury my feelings, but I wanted to make sure she was taken care of before I kind of unloaded my feelings.
1: Yeah. 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 I do, I think it's a part of life that we all could, it would be better for us as a society collectively if we were a little bit more adept at grief and grieving well. Because when we don't create space for grief, we shortchange some of the most important experiences that we have in our lives grief as we experienced it related to death is kind of like birth, right? We're only going to do it a few times Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you want to be present for it. You want to be able to fully experience the emotional range and honor that the loss of somebody that we love is, um, you know, it's part of love.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, to that point, uh, you have a great article in Fortune called "How the Great Grief Led to the Great Resignation" that um, may be related to your last point, right? About making more space for for grief. Because yeah. I'm a, I'm an elder millennial, uh, but I still have like a very like boomer view on feelings. Well, I used to like pre pandemic. I was like, I'm a man. I don't feel feelings. I just swallow them, and I I'm, I'm a man. Um, and now I'm like I'm a man. And I now reckon- I'm
1: crying on the floor. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly right. And now I'm like I'm a man. I feel my feelings, and I do what I need to do to take care of my family or whatever. Right? Like that's. Yeah. It's funny. It's uh, I'm a man, so I'm a man, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but this the, I I read this article. I really enjoyed it. Um, so maybe what's the thesis here how the great grief led to the great resignation.
1: Well I think probably everyone who's listening will have heard some conversation about how the nature of work is changing and the the great resignation has been one of the terms that's been thrown around but you know there are lots of different statistics one is that in November of 2021 just in that one month million people left their jobs. Um, And so 2021 was this year when there was this huge reshuffling in how work happened. So much so that like many folks are just still having difficulty hiring. But I think that the great resignation that those shifts in people's willingness to come to work or to participate in the jobs that they had been doing prior, I think that that's really driven by grief. And so that's what I talk about in this article—is helping employers and other professionals understand how grief may be at play in all of these transitions that we're seeing in the world around us.
0: Yeah, it kind of force it. It definitely forces you to face other things in your life, right? Where are you spending the right amount of of time? And um, I know it's not necessarily quite the same as uh as grief but a, kind of the similarities between birth and death uh i quit my job uh at the agency i was working at when my daughter was 3 months old for that exact reason right yeah. i w- i felt overworked and i didn't want to miss out on being a dad and i thought that i'd be able to uh support my family and spend time with my family if i was self employed which knock on woods three kids and several years later, it's still going pretty well. (laughs) Um, I mean, in
1: a way, these are existential crises, right? Birth, death, they get us thinking about the nature of our existence. And if we do that inventory, that internal inventory and ask the question of, is the way I'm spending my time meaningful to me? We ask that question and we say, no, we are out the door in that job in a heartbeat. So when grief enters our world, it forces us to ask these questions that we reevaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. When it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between easy but limited or a limitless platform that you need to manage yourself. Until now. Store Builder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. It saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to selling. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that Store Builder has been a much easier experience than anything else. Answer a few questions, add your content, and sell. Store Builder was created and is supported by e-commerce experts at Nexus. Get the speed, security, and support you need when you need it. Are you ready to launch your perfect online store? Head over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder. And so there's a couple of quotes here that I really, um, really stood out to me from this article. Um, And and we kind of touched on this one. The exodus of structured work is a symptom uh, of collective grief. We touched on that a little bit. one, the the one that I think struck me the most is bereaved parents and spouses are nearly twice as likely to die than those not bereaved. And after a year, they're still 10% more likely to die. Um, can we elaborate on that a little bit? Um yeah. You know, you hear like, I've heard in pop culture, like they died from a broken heart, quote unquote. Is that kind of like a gross oversimplication of this, of, of this quote?
1: Yeah, but it's actually super accurate. I was, there was a, one of the school shooting in, in Uvalde, um, one of the teachers that was shot, her husband died of a heart attack within days of her death. So grief is... A form of shock, and it can hit people like the way an acute stressor would. So physiologically, it has a significant toll on our bodies. And so people are often likely to die of things like heart attacks because they've had such an infusion of stress into their physiological symptoms, systems that their body is unable to cope with it, essentially. So saying that you died of a broken heart is is actually not very... It's it's pretty accurate. It's wow. not very much hyperbole. So there's also a significant amount of practical stress that goes along with these kinds of losses. Um, so our bodies are in chaos, our lives are in chaos, and it can undo us. You know, it, it can literally kill us to be in that level of disruption.
0: Yeah, and... During the pandemic, um, a lot of people experienced that, right? I, I learned the true meaning of "it takes a village to raise a child." Like during that, mm-hmm. like when you lose that village, um, you it really sets in, like how yeah. much help you're getting, yeah, uh, with with children, especially small children who like need you to do everything for them, right? Um, and and which brings me to my my second quote. Again, this one really resonated with me, right? During the onset of the pandemic. Um, job demand decreased until she, the, the person you're talking about, felt overwhelmed and burnt out. She could never keep up with her emails. Uh, she finally quit in order to spend more time with her daughter. So um, again, this was this was kind of something that you you come to realize during the pandemic, right? Uh, where am I spending my time wisely? Is all of this stress really worth it?
1: Yeah, and I think especially a lot of parents experienced I just cannot do both. I cannot be on Zoom in my, com- you know, my computer room for eight hours a day and have my children get their first grade education. Like I can those things cannot happen at the same time. And so of course, a lot of people choose their families. In some ways that's good because of course we all love and value our families. But in some ways that's also like, because it feels like the choice you have to make. And so- mm-hmm obviously you are an incredibly engaged father but the way that the pandemic impacted a lot of women was to set women's vocational and professional equality back years because often it was women who were leaving their jobs to tend to to, to tend to kids
0: yeah yeah and i recognize here that i my wife and i are in a unique situation where we were perhaps less impacted from two parents with traditional jobs right because yeah. She works three 12-hour shifts, which means I was able to work at least two days a week. And yes, I feel like maybe my business isn't where it would be um, had the pandemic not happened. But um, I feel like the reason I quit my job to work for myself was to give me the flexibility, not for situations like this, but... A little bit, for but when a like situation
1: this. like that arises, yeah. you have the the margin to be able yeah. to adjust your life and your schedule to to yeah. include your kids. Yeah. yeah,
0: we also had the strong benefit of uh, not having to do virtual school because our children were yeah. just in daycare, yep. and there was no like curriculum we had to stick to.
1: Yeah, that was rough for people. I there are whole. um sort of segments of math that one of my kids just didn't learn. I'm not sure what he was doing on his iPad for, you know, hours (laughs) and hours a day unsupervised, but it wasn't math, it turns out.
0: (laughs) See, it's probably best that I didn't, because like, my fatal flaw is, I think I'm smarter than everybody. Um, (laughs) And, like, if I saw, like, w- the Common Core mather teacher, like, I'd probably argue with the teacher. I'd be like, no, this is the right, like, I got the right answer. This is the right I feel thing. like yeah. you
1: just would have homeschooled. So you would just been like, yeah, forget it. I'd have been like, like forget I'm it. just taking this yeah, over. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And so we were, you know, we were perhaps in a better situation than, than most people. Um, now, let's, let's end on... A potentially happy stat here, right? Um, I'm going to say potentially because starting a new business is hard. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is until they're in it. Um, yeah. But a recent study by Intuit QuickBooks found that 17 million Americans will launch a new business in 2022. Um, very exciting for me because I I think anybody who has the, the drive to uh, start a business should. Um, what's your general feeling about that?
1: Oh, I love it. I mean, obviously, I spend my life supporting entrepreneurs. So these are people I love. The people who are like, I made something. I'm going to sell it. Like, I've got an idea for a great cookie recipe. You know, whatever it is all across the board of entrepreneurship. Um, I think that that level of ingenuity and self-determination and all of the values that drive someone to decide, I'm going to file this application for my business permit. Um, Those are my people. So those are the, you know, it's the creative class. It's, it's who you and I both work with and serve. And like you're, you're addressing, I realize it's, it's hard and not all of those businesses will be successful, but um, I, I think they'll probably be meaningful and they'll probably be an important part of life for the people who um, endeavor to make them successful, even if in the end they don't have, you know, exactly the financial outcome that they would hope for. But I think that's how the economy is changing, right? All of us are wanting more control, more flexibility, and more ability to make sure that we're spending our moments in ways that really matter to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if there's, you know, one one good thing that comes out of the pandemic, I think it's that people are realizing what probably many entrepreneurs have already realized, right, is that time is the only thing you can't get back, right? Bill Gates has said it. Other entrepreneurs have said it. Um and so maybe we're, we want to spend our time more wisely.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sherry Walling, this has been such a, um enlightening conversation. Cathartic, maybe. Cathartic for me, at least. Uh, um, if people want to, first, let's say, if people want to buy your book, I strongly recommend um, you go out and buy this book. Because um, whether you experience it or you're supporting someone who's experiencing grief, understanding you're not alone and that there is hope in loss is, is like, like you said, something everybody should, uh, should know and understand. Um, So where could people go to get the book?
1: It is at all the major book places. So it is of course on Amazon and it's also at your local bookstore down the street. So um, I will just put in the little plug that reviews matter a lot. So if you choose to buy the book, which I hope you will, um, taking that extra minute to leave a review and just a quick little sentence about what you learned from the book or how it how it served you is very, very helpful and will help me get a, another book deal someday. So, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, reviews are... I got a couple of bad reviews on my last book because it wasn't the same as the previous edition. And that mm-hmm. like dramatically hurt my ranking for a long time. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so reviews, reviews So if you matter. don't like
1: the book, don't worry about it. But yeah. if you love the book,
0: please. You love it, be nice. <laughs> leave a good review. Um, awesome. I'll have that linked up in the show notes as well, which you can find over at howibuilt.it slash uh, 279. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you?
1: I live on the internet at sherrywalling.com. I'm on Instagram at Walling and... Twitter at Sherry Walling so I'm pretty easy to find and I love yes. connecting with folks so feel free are to you follow still doing, are
0: you still doing your own podcast
1: I am yeah I should probably plug that thanks for the reminder yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my podcast is called Zen Founder and we address all issues related to the mental health of entrepreneurs and those who love them um, so we're I don't know 330 episodes in something like that so um, definitely give that a listen as well
0: yeah, use that search bar. That's in the app you're probably listening to right now, and, and go find it. So, um, and again, if you want to learn more about the now, uh, Sherry now has written a book, both self-published and traditionally published. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. In Build Something More, which you can sign up for for fifty bucks a year, that is less than five bucks a month, uh, over at joincreatorcrew.com, you'll get ad-free, extended episodes. Uh, of the podcast as well as behind the scenes look at the stuff I'm doing. So check it out. Dr. Sherry Walling, That's so, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. And uh, thanks so much to everybody listening. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode. And until next time, get out there and build something.